Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of the pursuit of a persistent God. If you and I belong to God, we will be chastened of the Lord. Hebrews 12 says in Proverbs tells us that. God will not abandon me, though He will discipline me. God will not compromise, though He will castigate me. Why? Because God loves me. He'll pursue me. He'll pursue me, but don't forget, it will cost us. It will cost us more dear than the cost that we think of obedience. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. God is always working to pursue us and woo us and discipline us back to His side. We often call people who are considering the claims of Christ seekers. But the simple truth is that God is the great seeker. Jesus Himself said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jonah is a classic case study in regard to this principle. There he was, a man in full-time ministry with clear directions from God about where to go and what to do. However, Jonah chose to rebel. Pastor Xavier begins his expository series of the book of Jonah now with a study titled, The Prodigal Prophet. Let's listen. Jonah. God chose him to reveal his word. Jesus was preaching, and he said that Jonah was a sign to the people of Nineveh, and that the generation of Nineveh would rise up against the generation who he preached to and would condemn it, because they believed the preaching of Jonah and repented, and Jesus was preaching a greater message, the fulfillment of what he represented, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So many people have gotten caught up with the whale that they have forgotten about Jonah. Forget the whale, the whale's not important. Matter of fact, the word is not whale, just a great fish. What it was, we don't know. But the whale is not the issue of the story. It's Jonah. In verse 2, the word that God declared to Jonah was clearly understood. He said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah understood that God wanted him to arise, go, and to cry against Nineveh. But it's because he understood it that he didn't want to do it. You see, you have to understand the Ninevites. They were the Assyrians. Nineveh was the capital city of that day. It was a world empire. It was just northeast of Jerusalem, about five to six hundred miles on the Tigris River. Nineveh was a very prominent city, and it was only about eight miles in circumference, the main city, the, main, the city proper. There were four other cities around it. The walls were 100 feet high, three chariots abreast could ride on top of it, 200-foot towers, molds, rivers, gardens, tremendous. They were a terror to the region, and it was a threat constantly to Israel. And they were fierce and cruel to their captives at war. They would hold men down and tear their tongues out. They would skin them alive and stretch their skins on the city wall and then impale them on a pole that would be thrust through their abdomen up and stood up. They would tie them to horses and tear them apart. They would bury them up to their necks and allow the ants and the sun to just rot and eat them. They would carry their captives away with fish hooks in their lips and their ears. Entire cities would commit mass suicide when we would see Assyria surrounding them. Very possibly, Jonah perhaps had suffered in some way, maybe in his family 
Certainly Israel had suffered. And he certainly did not want to go to Nineveh. Not because he was afraid. Many people say Jonah was afraid. Not because he was prejudiced. Many people have said that. But he didn't want to go because he knew his God. You see, he knew that his God was merciful, compassionate. And if he went to preach, and if they repented, then God would forgive them. He gives that to us in chapter 4, verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Chapter 3, all of Nineveh were saved. See, most of the time we hear that people flee from God because they don't know Him. Let me propose to you that more people flee from God because they knew know Him. They know Him and they know exactly what He desires and requires of them. And they run from Him. That was Jonah. But let's not look so pious because that's you and that's me. He understood the message clearly. Their wickedness had come up before God. He didn't want to go. And so in verse 3, the word of God was disobeyed. Jonah rose up. He fled to Tarshish, the area of Spain, some 2,000 miles away from the presence of the Lord. Are we to believe that Jonah the prophet who had been used by God, that he believed that God was localized and he wasn't all present? Of course not. Then what does it mean? I believe that when he said that he fled from the presence of the Lord, he, that it means that he fled from being in the place where God wanted him to be. Jonah said, I'm going to Tarshish. There is no way I'm going to Nineveh. And so he went to Joppa. Joppa was on the Mediterranean coast there. And he was going to take a ship there, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. I'm sure at this time, Jonah said, hey, God's in it. There's only one passage left. I'm it. God must be guiding me. How often in our own disobedience, we look at open doors and we say, God's in it. And yet we are running from God. We are being so disobedient. And we clearly understand what he wants. And we say, hey, God's in it. Nothing could be further from the truth. For notice that it says that he went down to Joppa. Anytime you and I are disobedient to God, that's exactly where we go, down, down away from God. Now Jonah and the ways of God are given to us in verse 4 down to verse 13. He says, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. The Lord hurled out a great wind on the sea. The ways of God are always to pursue his people. God didn't say, okay, Jonah, I'm done with you. I'm going to pursue you. This is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God in declaring his word to Nineveh. The sovereignty of God to pursue a disobedient saint. He's sovereign. He does as he wills. When he wills, where he wills, how he wills. And no one can say to him, what in the world are you doing? Is that not the confession of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 of Daniel? And so this was no normal storm. It was divinely sent. The ship was almost breaking up. 
Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and they threw the cargo that was in the ship of, uh, into the sea to lighten the load. Notice that the disobedience of Jonah affected others. One of the costs that we incur, we incur upon others' lives. In my disobedience, I have willingly considered the cost, and I commit myself to it. But there are innocent people that are affected by my decision, by my disobedience. People who really have not done anything. You say, well, wouldn't that make God unfair? No, I, I don't know how it works out, but it doesn't make Him unfair. Because God will use that for His glory. I don't know how, but He does. I can see how at the end of the chapter here. I don't always know how in every person's life or situation. But these mariners, as we read on and see their character, is they were pretty upright men. They were hard workers. They were just doing their job, and this guy just came on board. And because of his sin, their lives were in danger. Their ship was breaking up. They had to throw their cargo overboard. It shows you how distressful they were. Now, these guys were experienced sailors. They had been in the storms many, many times. And you know that if they throw their cargo overboard, they, they're desperate and they know that there's very little chance they're going to survive. It's a, it's a last resort because what are they going to tell their employer when they get back and there's no cargo if they get back? And that's just it. They didn't think they'd get back. And so it really didn't matter at this point. Notice the contrast in verse 3. But Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish. Notice verse 4. But the Lord hurled a wind. What a contrast. Jonah runs. God runs after him. Notice the next contrast, middle of verse 5. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had laid down, and was fast asleep. What a contrast to these men who see the danger very clearly, being non-believers. But Jonah is so indifferent to the danger. Jonah was fast asleep. In verse 6, the captain came in and was astonished, kind of uh, ticked off, really. <laughs> he says, what do you mean, sleeper? What are you doing sleeping at the time like this? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps he'll consider us and we won't perish. A sharp rebuke from who? From the non-believer. Now, he doesn't know who Jonah is at this time, but he rebukes him nevertheless in his practical responsibility to the situation and circumstance. The ways of God are strange, aren't they? At times when we are reproved even by the most heathen individual, they don't even know who we are, and yet we are cut to the heart because they expose our own sin. And it brings conviction upon our own heart. In verse 7, they said one to another, let's cast lots. The lots was a way by which to determine what was going on. The proverb says that the man cast the lots, but the lot is determined from the Lord. The lot fell upon Jonah. All eyes are upon him. They say, please tell us, for whose cause has this trouble come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? What else could Jonah do? He says, I'm a Hebrew. I can just imagine their eyes open wide. These mariners probably were Phoenicians. I'm sure they had heard of the exodus of Israel from Egypt, the miracles that he did through the desert. I'm sure they heard of the conquest of the land, Joshua. I'm sure they knew about David and Solomon. And behind all that history was the God of the Hebrews. And they were probably astonished. But then he says, I fear the Lord. Did he? He did. 
in a way that he knew the consequences of disobeying God. But the fear of the Lord is departing from evil, the proverb says, and he wasn't departing from evil, but he was running towards evil because it was disobedience. And he said that he was the God of heaven who made the seas and the dry land. He's the creator. Hearing all this, in verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? As they heard what Jonah was doing, and he revealed to them all that he had done, fleeing away from the Lord. Why? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. It makes so much sense to them. Why would you do that? He is the God of the universe. He is the one who, who wipes everybody out. He's the one who no one can stand against. Why would possess you? What would make you do that? When we are in our sin, we are so blind, we are so overcome, we are so caught up with ourselves that it makes sense to us, at least in a rational way. And yet everybody that knows and looks around says, why, how come, how could you? The deceitfulness of sin is very, very destructive to my sensitivity to God, to my yielding to the ways of God and the will of God. And it's so clear to others that it's actually a rebuke here to him. You remember when Abraham went down into Egypt and he lied that Sarah was his half-sister and God plagued the Pharaoh's house there, Abimelech, and they couldn't have kids and at the end, Abimelech rebuked Abraham. It's a sad thing when we, the believers, are rebuked by the non-believers. You know why? Because even the non-believers, even the most perverse of non-believers expect a lot more from us as believers. And when they hear and they see us, do and act and be something different than that, they get back and say, well, aren't you a Christian? They're even shocked. And so they said to him in verse 11, what shall we do that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know this great tempest has come because of me. Notice that Jonah did not try to excuse himself. He didn't try to escape his guilt or his blame. He's honest, but he's not obedient. You and I can be honest, but if we're not obedient, it doesn't make any difference. Sometimes in counseling or talking to people, they say, yeah, well, I know I did wrong, and we're honest about it, but there's no real repentance. There's no real turning around. Honesty without turning around does no good. Nothing at all. Notice that Jonah was... Uh, willing to receive death. Rather than to go to Nineveh, he would rather die. I please want you to note very carefully, Jonah didn't try to take his own life. I say this only because we're hearing a lot about Christian suicide today. And many people are going as far as to say that it's okay for a Christian to commit suicide. Let me say that if you believe that, that you're speaking from the absence of Scripture. In chapter 4, Jonah later on is going to say, Lord, kill me. Elijah prayed, Lord, kill me. Do you know that God has never answered that prayer for any person who's ever prayed it? Because it's not a prayer, it's foolishness. Now, God kills Christians. He disciplines them, Corinthians tells us. He takes them home, but he never answers the prayer, Lord, kill me. And if God won't kill you as you pray that he kill you, then you have no right to take your own life. When I see people taking their lives and committing suicide in the Scriptures, I find one common denominator. They're always out of the will of God and walking away from God. Always. 
Has God saved you to kill you? Or has God saved you to live through you? For him to kill you is no problem. The problem is for him to use you. That's the problem. The character and diligence of these men is overwhelming in verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode harder to bring the ship to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. I mean, they tried. I mean, he already told them what to do. They didn't want to kill him. They didn't want to throw him overboard. And yet, they knew that the storm was because of Jonah. It was a storm that was divinely sent. It was a storm that was due to the consequence of disobedience. When we disobey, what a storm comes into our life and those around us. What devastation comes in, what danger we bring to not only ourselves, but those around us. Trying all that they could in a physical, strenuous way, they turned to God in verse 14. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray. Please notice, they cried out to Jehovah, not to the gods as they did in the previous verses with a small g. Now they're praying to Jehovah. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh to preach to the Ninevites, but Jonah preached to the mariners without even knowing it. More people get saved through Jonah by accident than most people get saved purposely through our lives. Why? Because it's God who saves. It is God who is doing the work. They cried out to Jehovah, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Once again, here we have now Jonah and the will of God from verse 14 on down. God's will is that no one perish, that all would come to repentance, that all would come to the knowledge of God, irrespective of who you are, what you've been, where you've been, what's happened. God is not willing that you should perish, but that you should come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that he died in your place, and that you can be forgiven. And so they cry unto God, and, 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 you know, they don't want to perish, but they also don't want to be guilty of taking a man's life. And yet Jonah has said, the only thing that's going to calm this storm is for me to be thrown into the storm. How ironic that the storm that we bring upon our own lives will only subside as we give in to that storm, which really deals with the will of God who brought the storm. We've got to face it. We've got to deal with it. And only you and God and I and God can do that. No one else can be involved. Just me and God. Not the pastor. Not the counselor. Just me and God. They had no other choice. In verse 15, they picked up Jonah. They threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Once again, this is miraculous. These guys were experienced sailors. They knew it was God. Jonah told them it was God. Now they knew it was God on their own observation. It also gave them relief that they had not killed an innocent man. They needed that relief. They needed that peace. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered sacrifice to the God and made vows. Notice that they came to know Jehovah. They were converted. It wasn't a foxhole conversion. It wasn't a jailhouse conversion. It wasn't a conversion out of distress and 
all of a sudden, when they were saved, they said, okay, forget it. For they made this commitment after the sea was calm. Many times, people are in distress and they call out to God and as soon as the distress is over, they say, okay, God, bye. Not these sailors. They made their commitment once they were safe, not while in danger. And so they feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered sacrifice and they made a vow. I believe here in verse 16, the evidence is that these mariners came to know Jehovah God. Through who? Through the prodigal prophet. What does that tell me? It tells me that the message is more important than the man. The message is more important than the man. The man is insignificant. But the message is the power of God. But also, the will of God is that the disobedient be disciplined. If you and I belong to God, we will be chastened of the Lord. Hebrews 12 says and Proverbs tells us that. I don't know about you as a parent, but I discipline my children whenever they need it. And God disciplines His own. And wherever you and I may be, wherever it is that we are running to or running from, God will pursue you and He will pursue me. How far will God go? God has outrun the best. He'll pursue you. He'll pursue me, but don't forget, it will cost us. It will cost us more dear than the cost that we think of obedience. And so God will discipline his own. This is his will. Jonah was swallowed up by the fish in verse 17. A fish which God had prepared. There are many things that God prepares in the book of Jonah. He prepares a great fish. He prepares a palm tree. He prepares a worm. He prepares a hot east wind. The book of Jonah is full of miracles that only God can accomplish. God is always preparing things to turn me to Him. But the question is, will I turn or will I continue to run? What a contrast between Jonah and these men. Remember, Jonah did not object to preaching and prophesying that God was going to restore Israel in the reign of Jeroboam. But he certainly did object to preaching repentance to the Ninevites. And God hit the one area of his life that showed him that he was not that godly. There are many areas in my life that I can look at, oh, great. But then God will lay his hand right upon that area that will reveal how ungodly I am. What for? Does he want to make me miserable? No. He wants me to turn over my life to him so that I may never forget, number one, that I am ungodly. Number two, that I can be godly through Him. God will not compel me, though He will pursue me. God will not abandon me, though He will discipline me. God will not compromise, though He will castigate. Why? Because God loves me. God loved Jonah, but Jonah did not love to give out the grace of God. He loved to receive it, but he didn't like to give it out. God allowed this prophet to record his failure for your benefit and mine. Don't let it go to waste. He didn't record the book of Jonah so that we could believe in whales, but to believe in God and to obey God. I pray that we do that. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, illustrating with the prophet Jonah the unrelenting love of the God you and I serve. Now, you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And as we've had to break only partway through this study, we hope you'll be back next time for the conclusion. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up your own personal copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply The Prodigal Prophet. It's available on CD for just $4. That title, once again, is The Prodigal Prophet. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com